This is Called by God, stories of ordained women in the Anglican Diocese of Grafton. I'm Reverend Cathy Ridd and welcome. Today I'm speaking with the Reverend Canon Sally Miller. Sally, thanks so much for speaking with me. I'd like to begin by asking you to share with me how it was when you began to respond to God's call to ordained ministry. Oh, so the the irony was that when that actually launched itself in my life, I was not in support of the ordination of women. Um, I... I actually, now I think back, I don't even know why I wasn't, but I think I thought I had to be against it. Um, that was the appropriate thing. And it actually came about when Ron and I both went to Theological College. I started studying to support Ron in his study because he was the student for ordination in the diocese, not me. I was just helping because I love studying and he hates it with a passion. So off we go with the four boys. And we started in the February. And every Wednesday, Ron would go to Theological Reflection. And I was welcome to join them, but it was the formation group and I wasn't there for formation. And as time went on and I listened with com- to conversation and I was surrounded by not just women who were candidates for ordination, but men who talked about this as if it was very normal, very how things should be. And, pardon me, I started to feel within myself, um, it wasn't jealousy, it wasn't that I was missing out, it wasn't anything like that, but rather a deep sense that that's where I should be, at the priestly formation thing. Um, And I went from being this, oh, no, I don't think it's appropriate, and that would have been my words, it's not appropriate for a woman to be an ordained priest, to uh, actually that's who I am. Uh, And that was huge. It wasn't even just a sense of call. It was that's who I am. Um, And I, I went from thinking it to articulating it, and that was the scariest bit thinking it and then articulating it, telling Ron, I think I'm called to be a priest, and telling the bishop, I think I'm called to be a priest. Like each one of those steps makes it a little bit scarier, but also a little bit writer. That's some good English for you. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit writer. Yeah. So that's that's huge. I mean, that ontological shift. It was a huge... and it. And it was an ontological shift. It was me walking into the being of who I was. And it went, like, that was, it was the August when I wrote to the bishop and said, I feel this call. Um, And, like, I wrote this beautifully written, probably two pages, and he sent me back uh, a one-line email. Well, it's about time. I mean, there were no angel fanfares or anything. <laughs> I was very disappointed in that. Well, it's about time. And it was. So on that path to ordination, who, who were your biggest supporters? Uh, probably um, my sons because um, I had been a stay-at-home mum who never stayed home. Um, 
but as I grew into my priesthood, they would articulate it to me. They wouldn't have even known. They were only young. Jono was only six. Tim would have been in that revolting teen phase, but they would articulate it to me and, and push me to keep going, um, which is really ironic um, because they didn't know that's what they were doing. Bruce McAtee, um, he was so formative in my understanding of who I was. He was the first one to challenge me because I said to him, he asked me, you know, why are you not putting yourself forward for ministry? I said, I have a ministry, I have a vocation, I'm a wife and a mother. And he said, that doesn't preclude the other. And we had this lengthy argument about the vocation of motherhood versus the vocation of priesthood. And he was the first one to say to me, but they're the same. Um, and he would still say to me today that the shape of my priesthood is the same shape as my motherhood. Um, it's all-encompassing and all-embracing. Ron, obviously, um, because he was brave enough to take a step to go to theological college, even though it did not sit well with his soul, but we knew that as a family, as a couple, we were called into ministry, and I was adamant it wasn't me, so therefore it had to be him. I have to say his relief when I told him it was something I was feeling was, mate, tangible he all but did a happy dance <laughs> um, so yeah I think probably it was those key people and then the environment at theological college which was so difficult for so many other people was incredible for me because I didn't have to be in any other role but that of a student and of somebody who is exploring her vocation it's surrounded by people doing the same thing my training priest in my last year there, but I'd been involved with her prior to that, was the now Bishop Sonia Ralston. And man, she showed me what priesthood of the ordinary looks like. And she was incredibly supportive. She has this way of affirming without gushing. So I could actually hear the praise. What were the challenges? <laughs> Ironically, some of the challenges remain the same. Imposter syndrome, I'm not good enough for this. Um, I thought that to be a priest you had to have some kind of really differentness. And I was just so very ordinary. Um, I thought I needed to be much more intellectual. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm smart, but I don't know, I just thought that you had to be more than what I was. And, and the challenge of juggling four kids living in... Um, a 10 by 5 metre three-bedroom apartment um, was very small and very complex and our youngest had behavioural problems. Um, so that was a, a very ordinary challenge that people of all walks of life face, but it was real. We had no money. We used all our savings to go to theological college. And to not feel supported by my own, my own people. My wider family really didn't have any concept of what it was I was doing. It was hard for them to get their head around it. My own parish, at the time, um, they were actually supporting another theologue um, and chose not to support us, and that was hard. And it was, it was those kind of things that were the biggest challenges. Now I look back, they were so ordinary, but sometimes they just felt completely demoralising because we'd given our all and it felt like there was nothing for us. And it was hard. Um, 
just making that first step. And then coming back into the diocese, having been a child of the diocese, and going, actually, I'm not a child anymore. I'm not a child anymore. I'm not here as a youth leader. I'm here as a priest. And that was a bit tricky, having been so heavily involved in all of the youth programs in the diocese, and then coming back going, you know, that's important, but I can do more than that. Yeah. What do you think are some of the challenges facing women in ordained ministry in the Anglican Church in Australia today? In our diocese, we think that most places we go, we're accepted. Um, but we're still called women priests. And until we can go somewhere and just be introduced as a priest, I don't know what the intent behind some of that introduction is, but I don't hear too many men going, oh, this is, he's a male priest. But, so we still face that. But I think our biggest threat, threat, yeah, threat, comes from the wider, the wider church, where there are still large places. Where, I mean, it was only um, now, last night, that one of the dioceses in Australia acknowledged the ordination of women as priests. So, you know, we're about to celebrate 30 years and they've only just started. And we know that they may have acknowledged it at a synod level, but that means it's going to take another 30 years for it to be just how it is. We are at risk from those who don't understand priesthood and who would say, but you can be in ministry without being ordained. We are at risk because some women don't appreciate the ordination of women and the difference that a woman can bring. And I think one of the greatest threats that we face is sometimes trying to fit a mould that's not appropriate. As we try to fit a mould of traditional male priesthood, which has made the church suffer. And we're not often bold enough to name it that way. But the masculine toxicity that has often fed into churches is one of the greatest threats that we face because it seems that many women innately know it's not right and won't lead that way. And servant leadership is costly. And if there is no support for that cost at a leadership level, then it's all too easy for us to take on the mantle of kingship. And that's not our role, that's God's role. And I actually think that's probably one of the greatest threats because it seems that many women think that we should be able to do it all. Nurture, nourish, teach, be strong, shape, mould, answer questions about the plumbing, keep up to date with our theological thinking, tend, care. I remember a male priest saying to me once, a rector, a supervising rector, I leave the caring stuff to the women to do the pastoral care. I think the ordinal would have something different to say about that. So I think it's a threefold risk. It's the threat of not maintaining our position, so not standing guard. I could simply ride the shirt tails of the women who were ordained before me, but that doesn't leave a pathway for the men and women and gender-fluid people that follow me.
So that's the first threat. The second threat is from voices that seem bigger and louder than ours that want to tell us that we're wrong. And the third threat is trying to be like men when we are called to be women of God. What still gives you life and joy in your ministry? Um, that's funny. Really weird things. <laughs> weird things give me life and joy, like um, one of the little kids in church who doesn't take communion yet but always comes forward to the altar rail for a blessing. And he goes the other weekend when he came forward, he goes, I know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me Jesus is with me all the time. I know, I know, and I say amen. <laughs> I used to the altar rail and roared with laughter. I love to think that that's how I'm thought of. Oh, I know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me God loves me. Just leave me alone. It's little things like that. And, and then um, just recently a lady who has put herself back on our reading roster at church because she's feeling courageous enough to stand up in front of the church and read. And then she did this thing in the reading where the word was terrible. And she felt uncomfortable using the word terrible to describe God because it didn't seem to fit. So she went and did some reading and realised that terrible actually meant the same as awesome, like huge, big. And so she changed the word to awesome. And then she told me about it afterwards. And that just sparked so much excitement in me because this is someone the word of God matters to so much she wants to make sure that she understood it clearly. She's in her 70s. I was like, yes, girl, you do that. So, yeah, it's funny the things that bring you joy. A full roster <laughs> and people spitting your words back at you. Sally, thank you so much for sharing with me today. Next week, I'll be in conversation with Archdeacon Emeritus Gail Hagen. Join me then. Called by God is produced in the Diocese of Grafton as part of the celebration to mark the 30th anniversary of the ordination of women in the diocese. Produced and edited by the Reverend Kathy Ridd, copyright 2023.